Unless you've been living under a rock for the past like month and a half, you've probably heard of the new coronavirus that has been in the news, and you're aware of the fear that it might become a pandemic and spread across the world. Before we get into the coronavirus, we just want to clarify some terms because recently scientists named both the virus and the disease it caused and they have separate names. So the virus is named SARS-CoV-2 because it is a related virus to the original SARS virus which also caused a lot of death in China about 10 years ago. So Emma I know you have access to the current numbers um as the situation stands, how many people have been infected by coronavirus and how many people have passed away? So as of now, there have been more than 71,204 cases of the virus recorded worldwide, with most of it being in mainland China. And as of when we're recording, the death toll stands at 1,770 deaths. That's so different from a month ago. I think it was at 300 deaths, right? Yeah, yeah, so it's fast. it's climbing every single day, which is why, I mean, we're doing this episode, but when we post it, we'll be referring to the virus as SARS-CoV-2 and not the coronavirus. People haven't been too enthused about this name because SARS holds a lot of fear for the Chinese people, and it also spreads less quickly, but was more deadly than SARS-CoV-2. And people are worried that this will make it difficult to communicate about this current virus. The disease has recently been named COVID-19, which stands for coronavirus disease and the year that it emerged, so 2019. We'll probably just refer to it as COVID-19 just for ease of saying stuff. Before we jump into SARS-CoV-2 as it has been portrayed in the news, what is it? So during high school and middle school, I actually studied Latin for five years. So when I heard about this kind of coronavirus, I was pretty interested. So in Latin, corona means garland or wreath. And most people think about viruses looking like those phages with legs that sit outside of the cell and then they inject their DNA into the cell. But coronaviruses actually look very different. They're more spherical and they have these kind of like gelatinous protrusions on them or just like little things that stick out. And these viruses are also known as RNA viruses. We've talked about DNA and RNA before, but just as a reminder, DNA or deoxyribonucleic acid is the genetic code that makes up our body and it is double-stranded. RNA or ribonucleic acid is single-stranded and this is a copy of that genetic code that travels to the protein-making centers of our body and determines what is actually produced in our body from um, our genome. Basically, DNA is the poster child and RNA is the guy who gets it done. (laughs) But I'm not partial at all because I study RNA. Yeah, I tweeted this and people were like, no, my precious DNA. I'm like, (laughs) we all know it's RNA that matters. (laughs) But what makes these RNA viruses especially horrible is that they can replicate very quickly. 
I should just butt in there and say that I'm in the protein world. I'm a biochemist here, so I feel like we're leaving proteins out of the equation. They get a lot of jobs mm. done. They do. <laughs> RNA is needed for proteins to happen, though. RNA decides. That's true. The master. That's true. That's true. But then <laughs> the proteins come back and regulate. Mm-mm, you're not that making that true. RNA. <laughs> there is some crazy self-regulation in there. There's lots of back and forth, and the central dogma of DNA makes RNA makes protein. It's just gone with the wind sometimes. Yeah, there's lots of random arrows pointing different ways. Yeah, I love the RNAs that like have c- crazy secondary structures and can kind of function like proteins. Yeah, no, that is really crazy. There's some cool researchers at UNC doing work on RNA secondary structure, and I'm just always amazed because I don't see 3D structures, and they can see these fantastic loops and formations anyways we digress (laughs) (laughs) so these viruses are horrible because they replicate quickly normally when our body is working with dna it proofreads dna to make sure there aren't any errors that would lead to a protein being produced incorrectly rna doesn't really have this proofreading step so rna viruses can mutate and change very quickly because there is no proofreading step to make sure that things look right there kind of is one proofreading it's nonsense media decay right that is yeah that is probably the one there but even that's like a much different mechanism it is it's very different because it's just like goodbye rna you're gone now yeah, it's just like it gets, RNA gets transcribed is the word for it, and just gets tagged to die. <laughs> That's so sad. It's like the body goes to all this effort, and it's just not worthless. Coronaviruses are in the same group as those that actually cause the common cold. And another interesting fact about coronaviruses is that they only transfer from animals to humans. So they cause respiratory problems that look very similar to pneumonia. This includes fever, cough, shortness of breath, and 15% of people with coronavirus actually need oxygen or respiratory help. There have been previous instances of coronaviruses causing illness in people, most notably the SARS coronavirus, which we mentioned, and that was transmitted from a type of cat to humans, and the MERS coronavirus that was transmitted from camels to humans. In December 2019, Wuhan, the capital of central China's Hubei province, began having people come to the hospital with cases of pneumonia-like symptoms. As more and more people began to trickle in with the same set of symptoms, the doctors put together that several people had actually worked in the Wuhan animal market. This animal market specializes in the trade of wild animals for food. And it's kind of known in Asian culture in general. They like to have these really exotic animals to eat. And I mean, I'm a big sushi lover, so I appreciate it. It is suspected that this animal market is where the disease originated. And markets like these have actually been where the other SARS and MERS coronaviruses began. In the case of SARS and MERS, the coronavirus originated in bats and was transmitted from bats to cats, then to humans, or in MERS case, from bats to camels to humans. Scientists think that SARS-CoV-2 is also coming from bats, but they're unsure what that intermediate animal is. How do the viruses actually get passed along from animal to animal and then finally to humans? Viruses are really complex. They change very rapidly and can affect people differently depending on their immune system, 
just the their basic body chemistry. And this is exactly what we see with a flu, which is a virus. We talked about vitamin D and the flu in an earlier episode and saw how the flu can change drastically from when the predictions are made in the Australian flu season to when the flu season actually hits America. This is why vaccines can be so hit or miss depending on how much the flu changes. Exactly. And with the coronaviruses in general, we have something very similar happening. So think abstractly with me for a moment. Viruses have proteins that are on the outside of them, which allow them to grab onto certain parts of animals. The proteins on the outside of the coronavirus tend to mutate a lot. In the case of the coronavirus, the proteins on the outside allow it to grab onto the respiratory tract of bats. Then over time, these proteins can change and mutate, allowing the virus to spread to another animal, which in the case of SARS-CoV-2, we don't know this intermediate animal. But this process of mutation can happen over and over again, and the proteins on the outside of the virus, in the case of SARS-CoV-2, are perfectly situated to allow the virus to grab onto the cells in humans' respiratory system. How did they trace the other coronaviruses to bats as the originator? They used our handy-dandy friend DNA sequencing. Scientists took samples from patients with severe pneumonia, which they thought was due to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and they did full genome sequencing on these samples. Because we know what the human genome looks like, they could find spots where there were new sequences, and they saw that those sequences looked like another coronavirus that had been found in bats, which had about a 96% match with that other coronavirus. This has been pretty amazing to watch how scientists have discovered all of this in just two months. They made some amazing progress on studying this virus, sequencing it, and working to find potential cures or ways to lessen the virus's effect. And a huge part of this is because the Chinese government has opened up communication and collaborated with other world experts. Yeah, it's been fascinating to see the research come out because a lot of the scientific journals have been putting priority on people who are doing research on this specific coronavirus because this research can help people try and develop a vaccine and can just help people understand what's happening and how to prevent the spread. But getting back to the virus, it's interesting because bats can carry around these sort of coronaviruses because they have unique ways to suppress an immune response. So they can transmit these viruses to different animals without being affected by them. Bats have been shown to carry SARS, MERS, and even Ebola. Oh, I have a fun fact about bats, but I can't Ooh. remember. They, they talked about this in the epidemiology podcast at one point, but there are like four times more bats than other mammals. I wonder why they get all these diseases. There's so many different ones of them. <laughs> I went to that symposium last week that UNC was putting on about the coronavirus, and, or in this case, SARS-CoV-2, and... They were saying, like, yeah, we know bats are an issue, but you're not going to get people going and doing field research, like wearing hazmat suits, spraying things at the bats, getting pooped yeah. on in these bat caves. That does not sound appealing. No, thank nope. you. Nope. Nope, nope. <laughs> so a lot of the worry around SARS-CoV-2 has been surrounding a report that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine saying that SARS-CoV-2 could be spread without people having actual symptoms. 
When this came out, news sources automatically started reporting about it and people became much more worried because how could you contain a virus if someone could spread it without even having symptoms? I mean, that's pretty horrifying. People would go about their day unknowingly spreading the virus um, to everyone that they came in contact with and that person wouldn't even know they were doing it. Science, the prestigious journal, came out with an article that we're linking in the show notes about this study being incorrect. The study centers around one Chinese woman who traveled to Germany for business and ended up spreading coronavirus to four of her colleagues. Once she got back home, she tested positive for the virus, of course, and it was reported that she did not have symptoms when she was in Germany. Apparently, the researchers who published this paper did not talk to the Chinese woman before publication and just talked with the four colleagues she met with. And upon more investigation and conversations with this woman, she told the German public health agency, the Robert Koch Institute, that she was actually having some muscle pain while in Germany. I can't believe they didn't even talk to her. I think they just thought, oh, we have to get this out as soon as possible. I mean, I could see there being a huge push for that if you see, oh, well, this is going to spread without people feeling anything. I mean, yeah, that's what that's what makes this kind of an interesting case, because since coronavirus is such a big issue right now, researchers are so quick to be submitting the work about the virus, hoping that it will help other researches and get published quickly so that information can get to other people. But this can actually cause problems, like we saw with this paper, where there's not enough time for peer review. And you can't even talk to the person that your study is about and validate that what you're writing is correct. Exactly. Science takes a long time, and it can't be rushed, but so much. There have been several papers published on SARS-CoV-2 already in the last month, and hopefully they're accurate, but there's still so much we're learning about this virus day to day. Oh, yeah. I mean, I uh, in preparation for this episode, I listened to a two-hour podcast on coronavirus from um, two epidemiologists, and they quoted a bunch of like bioarchive papers. So this bioarchive is a website where you can post manuscripts that you're about to submit. Caveat with this is that none of them have been peer-reviewed. So, you know, it's great to get this information out there, especially when it could potentially help people, but it, it also could cause panic. The paper we're talking about was published over two weeks ago, but since then there have been cases of COVID-19 where people present with only a sore throat and not that severe of symptoms. In that case, it's really difficult to know if someone has COVID-19 because they may or may not go to the doctor and they could be spreading it to all the people they're in contact with just because they may think, oh, it's just a sore throat or a runny nose or I have a bit of muscle pain. Right. And getting back to the journal article on coronavirus, you said that you found one focusing more on the epidemiological side of things. Yes, there was another article also from the New England Journal of Medicine that went into the data about who had contracted the coronavirus and looked at more of the ages of people to try and determine the reproduction value, the incubation time, and the doubling time of the virus. We aren't virologists, but uh, Emma did attend an hour and a half seminar on SARS-CoV-2, and I listened to that two-hour podcast, so we're right here with you enjoying learning all these new virology terms. That's one great thing about science. You're always learning. But when people talk about viruses, they talk a lot about the transmission dynamics of a virus. And this is basically just how quickly a virus can be transmitted from human to human. 
Scientists measure this in terms of a reproduction value or an R0 value, which is a measure of how many people a person with the virus will infect. An R0 value of 1 means that only one person will be infected per every person with the virus. This number is difficult to calculate, and different groups have calculated it differently. Some viruses, like the flu, have an R0 of 1.3 and affect millions of people. But other viruses have higher R0 values and don't affect as many people, but are actually more lethal. It's also an average, so in reality it doesn't capture the variation seen in the human population. One person could infect 100 people, or one person could infect no one, and those averaged together would have not captured that diversity of infection potential. Beyond even that, we're still trying to figure out how many actual cases there are. In China right now, they're turning people away from hospitals because they just don't have room, so people aren't being counted in the official tally for coronavirus, not to mention that some people might display with milder symptoms and they might not even go to the hospital. And you can even have different R0 values for different countries depending on how they handle virus epidemics. Getting back to SARS-CoV-2, the estimated R0 value is 2.2. So for every one person who has SARS-CoV-2, they will on average infect 2.2 people. This virus is pretty serious, but there are a lot of measures being put in place to help prevent the spread, including using face masks, washing hands, flights not going into or out of China. So hopefully that will help slow down the spread of this disease. Getting back to this article, they looked at 800 cases of coronavirus. And disclaimer, this was back in early January, so things have even changed since then. But they categorized these cases based on age and gender. And over half of the cases were in patients who were 60 years old and older. Yeah, I mean, this is important to note because people this age tend to have weaker immune systems, so it's easier for the virus to take hold, especially in their respiratory tract. The researchers from this data could calculate the incubation period of the virus, which is how long it takes for the virus to reach a point of so many viruses replicating in the body where the human host starts to have symptoms. This incubation period is important because it determines when someone is for sure not going to get the virus, even though they've been in contact with someone that may be um, infected with the virus. If you're in contact with someone who has coronavirus and after 14 days you show no symptoms, then you're good to go because the virus would have replicated in your body during this time and you would be showing symptoms. The incubation period for SARS-CoV-2 was estimated over just over five days, but a quarantine is recommended for 14 days for people in contact with people who've had the virus because it can take longer for the virus to replicate in your body. And that goes back to a lot of the individual variation in how your body's immune system reacts. The study also estimated the doubling time of the virus, which is how quickly the amount of people who have the virus will double. In the case of SARS-CoV-2, they estimated this to be 7.4 days. So every 7.4 days, you'll have twice as many cases as you did a week ago. This may seem surprising since every morning the news reports so many more cases of people with COVID-19, but only 10% of these cases go to the hospital. Part of this is due to more people getting diagnosed since they know what that is, and also China's reporting more of their numbers quicker. And in the past few days, they've actually stopped diagnosing people with the genetic test because it takes longer, and if they see something on a chest x-ray, they will say, this person has COVID-19, we are going to sequester them, and they'll start treating them for it. 
But as we mentioned earlier, there still may be a lot of undiagnosed cases due to mild symptoms. Scientists are currently trying to create a vaccine for SARS-CoV-2, but it's complicated. When I went to this uh, symposium on SARS-CoV-2, there were some fantastic scientists from UNC Chapel Hill that are researching coronaviruses and have done so for years. And they had some really good ways to think about how difficult it would be to make a vaccine for SARS-CoV-2. So you can think of coronaviruses like encyclopedias. If we think back to the proteins on the outside of the virus that mutate, that allow the virus to spread to different organisms, those proteins can have a lot of variation, even in one virus. In the case of SARS-CoV-2, there is an estimated 20% variation in the proteins on the outside of the virus. And this means that in order to make a vaccine, you need to have something common in the virus to target. Normally, the proteins on the outside of viruses are targeted. Vaccines are meant to prime your body for a real infection, and it does this by helping your immune system recognize certain key features about viruses. If there is a 20% variation in the key features that the immune system needs to identify the virus, then this can be a major problem. And if we think back to these coronaviruses and encyclopedias, yeah, you can have something from A to Z, but what's inside may be totally different. So if you're trying to make something common between these, say, encyclopedias, you might not be able to find a commonality besides the fact that there's something from A to Z. And that might not be enough for a vaccine to efficiently help your body target the coronavirus. Coronavirus has been able to spread very easily in China due to a perfect storm of variables. That's right. Lots of people in China live in cramped city conditions. There's many similar markets to the one in Wuhan that sells unique and exotic animals, and diseases can spread that way. And it took a while for the Chinese government to be transparent and open about what was going on with SARS-CoV-2 and people getting COVID-19. Right, and during this period where they weren't so open, there was a lot of travel going on for Chinese New Year. Three billion people traveled during that week. And China was kind of forced to admit the presence of this virus thanks to a whistleblower, Dr. Li Wenliang. Dr. Li realized that several patients contracted a viral infection that looked a lot like SARS. And on December 30th, 2019, he sent a message to other doctors warning them to be careful and to use extra protective equipment. A few days later, he was forced by the Chinese government to sign a document essentially saying he was spreading rumors and disturbing the peace, even though the Chinese government shut down the Wuhan food market on January 1st. Understandably, citizens were pretty furious that the government would try to hide this. And ultimately, this doctor actually contracted COVID-19 and died about a week ago, which is tragically horrible. Yeah, it's awful, and it's kind of become um, like a rallying cry for people that supported him and supported his whistleblowing that, you know, the Chinese government did this to him. Since then, China's put restrictions on travel going as far as to lock down entire neighborhoods and cities and shut down public transit in particular regions. Certain companies like McDonald's, Toyota, and Honda even shut down restaurants and plants in China. This may be helping to contain the epidemic, but it's making it impossible for people to work. So it seems like while their initial response was not great, the Chinese government is now stepping up and really trying to stop the spread of the virus. 
Yeah, and this is a very different response to what we saw with SARS back in 2003, where the central government tried to hide how bad the epidemic was from the rest of the world to kind of save face, going as far as reporting false numbers about how many people were actually infected. While it's not great that they didn't just come out and say it immediately, I think it is important to appreciate that China is taking some pretty massive steps here. I mean, they even canceled their whole Lunar New Year celebration, telling people to stay inside. Yeah, it's definitely honorable to see how they're responding, and hopefully it will help change the outcome. Yeah, I only wish it had happened sooner. Unfortunately, all of this news with coronavirus is leading to a lot of xenophobia against Asian people in general. And this is taking place in the form of bullying in schools, ostracizing people, memes on social media, and some pretty strong comments. I mean, I personally have heard a lot of these types of comments in my daily conversations. And it just makes me kind of sad to see people's fears bring out these kind of discriminatory and stereotypical views of Asian people. Epidemics like this carry a lot of stigma, and this is exactly why epidemiologists actually stop naming viruses and pathogens after the places in which they originated, because they didn't want cultures or people to feel ostracized for having this virus originate in their country, because it's not, it's not their fault. Definitely. So, I, I mean, I would just urge everybody to check your privilege and try to remain compassionate instead of judgmental in the face of this epidemic. I mean, I, ju- I just look at my Chinese colleagues that have family back in China and I, I feel sad for them that they, you know, it must be so scary to know that you can't go home and not know if your parents or grandparents are going to become infected. Yeah, it just sounds terrifying, and they we definitely need to give them a lot of grace and love in this situation. But talking about travel, how worried should we be, especially for those of us who are traveling? I'm actually heading to Germany next week to visit my husband who's been traveling for work, and when all of this initially started, I worried, oh, is my flight to Germany going to get canceled? Is all air travel going to cease? What's going to happen? Right. I mean, of course, people are freaked out. The number one recommendation, of course, is to avoid travel to the most affected areas, i.e. China. Uh, In fact, many U.S. airlines have canceled all flights to China, including um, Delta will actually suspend these flights until April 30th. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty intense. And Further, the U.S. has put in some strict quarantine regulations, so if you've been in an affected area, you must be quarantined for 14 days. What if you have to travel to China, or if you're maybe in an international area where you may contact others who've been to China? Basically, it's a wash your hands and cover your mouth kind of situation. (laughs) If you do show symptoms after potential exposure to the virus, of course, seek medical attention sooner rather than later, um, and you may actually end up being quarantined. Yeah, I saw today, actually, that if people start showing going in for flu-like symptoms, they're just going to be tested for coronavirus to be sure. Yeah, I mean, better safe than sorry. We wouldn't want this to spread outside of China. So can we call this a pandemic? Not yet, but potentially sometime in the future. A pandemic is an ongoing epidemic that affects more than one continent. 
And the key word here is epidemic. So even though we have had some isolated cases in the U.S., the situation isn't actually as dire as it is in China. Influenza and um, HIV-AIDS are both good examples of pandemics. The thing is... We just don't know whether coronavirus will become a pandemic, and only time will tell. Part of this is hard to calculate because it is currently emerging, and we don't have all the numbers or even all the information about how it spreads and grows. How worried should we be? I mean, if you're our listeners living in the U.S., honestly, you should be a lot more concerned about getting the flu, and I would urge you to go get a flu shot if you haven't done that already. Um, novel coronavirus hasn't really moved over here yet. So as long as you're not traveling to China or going to be in contact with somebody who has, there's really no need to panic. However, this doesn't mean that it couldn't become a pandemic. And this should be considered an international problem, not just China's problem. And countries like the U.S. need to keep doing what they're doing and collaborating with China to help them um, diagnose and contain this disease. It has been really cool to see scientists and researchers come together to brainstorm how how this is being transmitted so quickly and just ways that the transmission can be prevented. As of when we're recording, this is some of the most recent information and studies that we've read up on. So hopefully it will help you know some more facts about the uh, spread of COVID-19 and the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Thank you.